on the cutting edge of the messianic movement solace radio will rock your faith and bring the bible alive find your savior find yeshua hamashiach and explore the whole bible and discover treasures there solace radio if you've been with us at all for uh, any period of time you know that we're working our way through the uh fascinating book of joshua i must tell you I uh, thought I knew Joshua, having read it before, but it's a simply it's something entirely different when you sit down and prepare to try to teach from it. Anybody who has done that kind of thing, done a Bible study or any kind of teaching, knows that you better understand what you're talking about before you get up in front of the group, because uh, you know they'll find some uh, things out from and give you a hard time about it if you haven't already done that. And I have found the book of Joshua has become and is in the process even growing closer as a good friend. I am finding things in Joshua. I'm saying, oh, yeah, I saw. And uh, even uh, just this morning, I was uh, speaking with uh, a gentleman here in our congregation who was sharing how last week's message had such application to a situation in his life. Now, who would have thought that a book written 3,400 years ago would have application all these years later? And uh, it really does. Anyway, the book of Joshua is a a fascinating book. And we are in chapter 9. We're whizzing through Joshua compared to the way we have on some other books. But uh, trying to uh, keep things moving um, in, in... in Joshua chapter 9, if you have your scriptures, you can take them out and open to that. And as uh, hopefully you know by now, in order to understand what's going on, I mean, Joshua is an historical book, so you have to understand the history. The Israelites, at this point in time, as we come to chapter 9, have already, of course, crossed the Jordan River, which was parted by the Lord. And uh, their assigned goal, in now that they've crossed, and the reason for their crossing, is to conquer the land. Isn't that interesting? God, why don't you just clear it for them so they can just walk in and make themselves comfortable? Apparently, he actually wants us to do something. Their goal was to conquer the promised land. That's not a small goal. And with God's help, they began by conquering Jericho. Everybody knows the, uh, probably sing, and the walls came tumbling down. How many people know that song? Anybody? Uh, we won't sing it. All right. Uh, and uh, so that happened in chapter six, and then they attacked this after Jericho, having ever defeated Jericho. The walls came down. They went. They marched straight into the city. Jericho thought they were safe, right? Until all the walls fell down. And then all of a sudden, the Israelites, the warriors, went walked right in. Then they attacked a city. Uh, what they thought was a, a city nearby may have been an outpost of a, of a bigger city called uh, Bethel, and uh, they attacked that city. Now let me, uh, for those who have not been here, and there are a few new faces, let me just share with you where this is, because understanding uh, where things are helps you appreciate what was going on. This is a map, as you can see, of the uh, kind of a, a relief map of uh, Israel, and the surrounding area, you can see the uh, the Dead Sea there in the middle, and on the upper uh, left-hand co- corner is the Mediterranean Sea, and the lines, the white lines indicate the current borders, roughly, of the land. Uh, well, you can argue, I mean, I don't have the West Bank cut out, or Gaza, and a few other things that are missing here, but this is the general idea. Okay, so uh, now, when the Israelites prepared to come across, as you recall, they gathered at a place called Shittim, just east of the Jordan River, and then when they crossed, the first place they came to and uh, attacked, as we well know, according to the Lord, was Jericho. And then they, after defeating Jericho, they took up residence at a place, I'll use that in quotes almost, a place called Gilgal, which was just a little bit north, we think, of of, uh, Jericho. We're having trouble. I guess the archaeologists still have some work to do. They haven't found where biblical so-called Gilgal is, but I'll explain a little more about that word as we um, today. And they attacked this place called Ai or uh, uh, Ha'ai in Hebrew, the Ai, and um, that happens to be right near another larger city called Bethel. And if you read the text about their attack 
here in uh, in chapter seven and uh, and eight as well. But in chapter seven, you find out that um, that really this place was not what they thought it was, and they had misunderstood what they were facing. We'll look at the, that today a little bit about uh, how that all ha- that happened, and of course. Uh, there was something else that had happened prior to that that they were not aware of. And their first attack against that area, after having conquered uh, Jericho, their first attack against this new town, village, uh, outpost at AI, the first attack failed miserably. has huge consequences. We'll be looking at that in the weeks ahead. The reason they failed, they found out later, was because of a one person in the camp who had sinned and sinned badly. That was Achan, Achan in Hebrew. And Achan's sin was revealed to them after they lost the first battle. He had sinned by violating the command on the ban of taking plunder from Jericho after they had defeated Jericho. All of that was devoted to the Lord according to God's instructions. But he decided, oh, that looks so good. Nobody will miss it if I just take a couple of bars of gold and silver and a few of these things. Really. Well, I guess he uh, <clears throat> found out the hard way that that was not, and that, no, that nobody was not looking. God was looking. The Israelites, when God informed them about this sin, they stoned Achan and his entire family to death. They put to death all of his all of the animals that he owned, and all the material possessions he had, and then they burned him and piled a stones above it that people would remember what happened in the Valley of Achor. The valley, yes, and uh, that was a way of approaching sin and made the entire community aware of how God looks at sin. You know, you and I look at sin... Kind of, well, that was a mistake. Uh, okay, say you're sorry. Good. Everything's fine now, right? Apparently, it wasn't so easy as far as God was concerned. He was making a point about that. After they had expunged the sin, so to speak, as best they could, then they attacked again, this time with God's commands, and they, had, and they were successful. That's in chapter 8. Now we turn to chapter 9, and I've titled this, The Gibeonite Deception. You'll see why. It's probably a chapter you're not that familiar with, but we'll take a close look at it this morning. It begins this way, looking in uh, at verse 1 in chapter 9. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, these are all the kings in the land of Canaan now. And then he specifies them, uh, in Joshua 9, list them. Notice six of them. And there are other lists that contain one or two more, some contain fewer. The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, well, I thought this was the land of Canaan. It's referred to that as the land of Canaan, and the whole area is often called uh, Canaan, but it included other tribal units. The Canaanite, the Perizzite, and I've underlined the Hivite, because that's going to play an important point in a moment, and the Jebusite. It came about when all those kings heard of it. What is it that they heard of? They heard about the destruction of Ai Bethel. That's what they heard about. That's the it. When they heard about it, that they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. This is not what happened in Jericho. Remember what happened at Jericho? The people huddled together inside their double-walled city. The rest is history. But these folks had heard about the destruction of Ai and Bethel, and now they formed a coalition. Modern term, huh? Coalition against Israel. We are going to, this text, these first two verses here, are not relevant to the section we're going to study in chapter 9. Well, how could that be? 
I thought we're in chapter 9. What do you mean? We've just, this is the introduction, isn't it, to chapter 9? This is the first two verses. Yes. But the way Joshua has, a, has put this book together sometimes gives me a headache. Trying to figure out, what? How could this happen? What are you? Oh, it's the, did you mean this? The, the first thing they did was the last thing that you listed. Joshua is known for having these, uh, this ordering, chronological issues within the text. This is an example of one. He's talking about something, but now he sets that aside and goes to an entirely different... He's going to come back to this. And you know what? We're going to come back to this also. So I'm going to save this thought, these first two verses, for next time when we get together and talk about Joshua. Okay. Moving to verse 3. Joshua says, when the inhabitants of Gibeon, and this is going to be a book, and this is going to be our challenge as we move through, and I'm going to try to make it as easy as possible. There are going to be so many names of places that you either have never heard of, or maybe hope. Is that Linnea? Are you back? I just noticed you. Welcome back. Well, I've been a year since he was like, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'll embarrass you later, more later. Um, so we're going to find places, like names of places like Gibeon. How many of you have visited Gibeon lately? No? You haven't been to downtown Gibeon lately? It's really a thriving metropolis. <laughs> when the inhabitants of Gibeon, where is Gibeon? Well, let's go back to our friendly map here. We have these places that I've outlined and I've put the Bethel and the AI together in one thing. Gibeon is a little a little town that has been identified, actually. Probably uh, archaeologists have found this one just southwest of Bethel and AI. Okay, we don't know where AI exactly is, but uh, it's, it's in that area. Just a little bit southwest, not too far away. So when you're talking about that, you have an idea where it is. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, those were nearby. Remember this? See how close by they were? They're right in the same area. They're within, actually, 19 miles is the estimate from uh, maybe uh, um, Bethel type to Gibeon. 19 miles. You can get there in a uh, in an easy walk. Oh, all right, maybe it's a longer walk. All right, it's a schlep, but you can get there. You can easily do it in a day. Well, if you're climbing, if you're a good hiker. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, everything is, remember, those days, you didn't pick up a phone, you didn't have an internet, you had very little, you didn't have newspapers coming around, so you really didn't know what's going on unless somebody came to town and said, by the way, let me tell you what happened over there in, uh, in AI. Not only did they hear, the scripture tells us they did the thing that God wants a lot of us to do, not just to listen, but to get off our tuchus and do something. They also acted. Now, that means they did something. Not everything that people do, however, in reaction to, to a situation is the best. In this case, they acted craftily with guile. The word means deceptively. As a, it, the word that's used then and translated craftily can be a positive word in Scripture, but in this case, it could also be a negative one. Quite clearly, what we find out is they acted very craftily. They were trying to trick somebody as a result of hearing about the... Uh, the invasion and destruction of AI. And so begins, at this moment, what is going to be a story of deceptions, the Gibeonite deception. Now, how many people here have experienced any kind of deception in, in their lives? Have you ever been, you know, have you ever, have you ever had that happen to you where you, you've been deceived? How do you feel about that? Deep. A little frustrated, a little like, you know, you want to turn around and make that right. 
We live in a world of deceptions. You ever seen any advertising lately? Yeah. How about the things that, you know, there was this hose that was advertised. And, and Bonnie bought this hose. She saw it advertised. This great hose, you know, you just, you know, it shrinks down to fit in your pocket or something like that when you, you know, when you're not using it. And then it expands that you can, you know, 100 feet or whatever like that. And, you know, $20 or whatever it was, you buy one, you know, and you get two, you know, for the price of one type thing. It's so good. So, so we ordered one of those hoses and, uh, it worked for about, a month. A month would be long. A few weeks. And then it developed a hole. So, contact them, send it back, and send you another one. That one lasted about an hour and a half. <laughs> and so on. And, and return that one. And after a while, you just say, alright, just throw it out. Forget it. Move on. That was a deceiving advertisement. See, the product idea was nice. It looked great on television because they only had to make it work for six minutes and uh, or 60 seconds or whatever it was. That was deceptive. We live in a world of that. How about the media? Can anybody, you know, find any truth in anything that is said on on television by pundits or radio or whatever? I think these people make things up for a living. And unfortunately, they've gotten very good at it. Because it makes my hair, you know, that's why I want to run back to my scripture. Something that, you know, because what I, what I hear coming across the airwaves, I tell you, it's just, it's hard to live with. How about, uh, packaging? A little deceptive. I bought a, a, a bottle, uh, kind of a can, canister of a uh, certain kind of protein powder, right? The can, you know, is about this big. So I took it home and opened it up, and it had about this much stuff in it. I call that deceiving, you know, deceptive uh, advertising or packaging. How about politics? The only way you can tell when a politician is lying is when their lips are moving. <laughs> Other than that, they're fine. But this is a world of deceptions. We live in it today. This is what is about to happen to Joshua. Only well, he didn't see it coming. And these people at Gibeon heard about the destruction at AI, and they thought, you know what, we're going to avoid this. They so sit, they got their, put their, their heads together, had a committee. I love it, don't you? They made a, a committee, probably. They, they set out as envoys, uh, and, and they took these envoys from their little community, which we'll see where that is, uh, not that, that far from, uh, as we saw, from maybe 19 miles away from where the events happened here at AI. They sent out these envoys who took, uh, who wore worn out sacks. They took worn-out sacks on their donkeys. These are things they carried in. That, uh, and worn-out, torn, and mended wineskins. And worn-out and patched sandals on their feet. You had to keep this all together. You had to look the same. Worn-out sandals and worn-out clothes on themselves. And all the bread and the provisions was intentionally dried out and had become crumbled. Now, why do you think they're doing that? They're, they're, they're about to deceive somebody. See what happens. They went to Joshua, says, to the camp at Gilgal. And if you're like me and looking for maps and trying to say, well, where was this? How did that happen? Where did they, where, oh, Gilgal's over there, right? But if you are familiar with what has happened in the chapter or two before, now that they've conquered AI and they're moving further to the west, Gilgal is history. It's back there. Except the word Gilgal is not necessarily a town I found out. It actually, in the Hebrew, the word always appears, except for once, always appears as Ha Gilgal. 
And if you have, if you know any Hebrew, it means the Gilgal. The Ha means is a Hebrew letter. That letter over here at the beginning of the word, that He with uh, means the Gilgal. That ought to be a clue to tip us off that maybe the word Gilgal is not necessarily the name of a town, and it seems like historically it isn't. It may well be some kind of marked area, archaeologists have now come to the conclusion, that it's referring to an area that people have staked out, like they've marked out with a bunch of stones in a big circle, because the word means wheel. They, the Hebrew word, uh, uh, well, we use that word, haglau, when we roll up the Torah. Right? When we roll it, the glal is the Hebrew word for, for roll or wheel. And so it might mean a, a round area that's set aside or some area that's uh, marked off as a, uh, as a place that the people are now living. So it could be that the word, when they uh, went to a camp, at, it could be another area that they moved to. So we sh really should think of it. They went, Joshua, uh, they went to Joshua at the camp at the, the Gilgal, wherever they were, at the uh, place they're staying now. And they said to him and to the men of, men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Wink, wink. I don't think they were winking. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Well, I can tell you came from a far country. Just look at your clothes. You've been traveling. I mean, you can tell that, right? Came all the way from... Uh, from Gibeon. And the men of Israel said to, these are called the Hivites. Why are they called the Hivites? That's the name of a group, apparently. One of those six that I underlined at the beginning, all of which were supposed to be eliminated by the Israelites. Specifically, God had instructed them, destroy these. Make sure that they are no longer living in the land that you're going to be living in. Because when you're there, if they're living anywhere near you, you are in for trouble. Make sure they're out of there. Burn them, throw them out, do whatever you have to. Get rid of them from your land. Hivites defines this group. That was one of those that were listed. But they didn't know that. Perhaps you are, they didn't have a sign on, you know, Hivite right here, or of course they didn't. Would have been nice that way. I am a Hivite. If you can kill me. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you are living within whose land? Wait a minute, you just guys just moved into town. This is our land. God gave it to us. Perhaps you are living within our land. And how then shall we make a covenant with you? Because we're instructed by the God to throw you out. Or destroy you if you don't want to leave. But they said to Joshua, don't you love it? We are your servant. Now, that could be a common phrase from the time period. Uh, we don't know for sure. If that was uh, just like, uh, your servant, you know, I'm, it's like a greeting thing. I'm here. I'm your friend. You don't have to worry about me. I'm not going to stab you in the back. We are your servants. And then Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where did you come from? I want to know a little more about you. They didn't have the FBI around to vet these people. So the fact that they just showed up at their front door here and walked into town and said, uh, you know, we've come from a long, uh, far off place. Has already given Joshua a little, little heads up here, a little concern. A little yellow light went on in his mind. Good for him. Now, here comes the flattery. All right? This is the way it works. They said to him, your servants have come from a very far country. Why? Because of the fame of the Lord your God. Whoa. These guys have done their homework. They know a little bit about Israel. They know about Joshua. They know about what he values. They even use the word that's in the uppercase here, according to the text. They use the yud heh vav as far as, you know, they, they use the name of God that uh, was reserved for him. 
So these guys not only dressed the part, they sounded the part. Now they're trying to reach and become friendly with Joshua, so he'll make a covenant with them not to destroy them. For we have heard the report, right, now, for we, now let's go further, we have heard the report of him, about him, and all that he did, that is your God, in Egypt, yud and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, there to the west of the Jordan, this was the east of the Jordan, where these two kings of the Amorite kings, the greatest kings of the, of the Amorites in the area, Sihon, king of Heshbon, uh, and Og, king of Bashan, they were at uh, Ashtaroth, which is the place that they were, that uh, Og was. They heard about the destruction of those kings before you even crossed the Jordan. So they are familiar with the yud that you are representing here, your God. Oh, that's nice. You know about our God. Remember who else was familiar with them? Somebody named Rahab. Because she knew when the spies came to Jericho initially, remember? She hid them. And what happened to Rahab after when the attack at Jericho came? She and her family and her parents and everything, they were all saved because of her identification with the, uh, the God of Israel. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand. <laughs> Sorry, this thing keeps moving around. I've got to tape it here. I'll put, I'll put some screws in and hold it. Maybe we'll go with the tape. So our elders and the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. In other words, they're explaining why they're there. They came from this faraway country. They know about your God. They know what you've, what they've done. And all of our people have put me up to this. Now then, make a covenant with us. Haven't I answered your question, Joshua? Faraway place. We know you're, we've heard about your God. Look here. Yeah, if that doesn't convince you, look at the bread or the things we brought. It was warm when we took it for our provisions and out of the houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and it has become crumbled. Oh, my gosh, this is proof positive that we have come a long way to reach here. Right? Are you buying it yet, Joshua? How about the men there? Look at these wineskins which we filled. They were new, behold, and now they are torn. And these are our clothes and sandals are worn out because of this very long. This guy is really pouring it on. I mean, he's a salesman. Some of you have been salesmen. You know how you have to build it up a little bit. You don't want to oversell it. That can come out to bite you later, but I know people who are in sales. Not an easy job to convince somebody that uh, amidst all the other stuff and deceptive stuff they're hearing, that this is actually the truth. Buy this product. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions. And notice, and they did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. You know what? Look, listen, they've heard all this. It's, the evidence is right in front of them. There it is. And what happened? Joshua made peace with them, and he made a covenant with them to let them live. He bought it. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. The leaders, not just Joshua, the leaders of the community who were listening to this, who, who, who could feel the wineskins and see the clothing and maybe tasted some of the old crumbs. Of the they bought, they believed this. Very good. These guys good. You'd like him working for your company, wouldn't you? And it came about at the end of three days, three days later, after they had made this covenant with him, that they heard, Joshua and the leaders heard, they were neighbors. And they were actually living in the land. Oops. 
You just made a covenant not to wipe them out. They're now, it turns out they're not far away. And then the sons of Israel had to see this. So they, they set out and they came to these cities on the third day. It took them actually just about the 19 miles, not that long, probably on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and then Hephirah and Beirut and Kiryat and Yarim, which uh, on our little map here, show you how far away this far country is. Here's where they were. That's not that far away, is it? Right. Seems like they didn't mention it that way when they first uh, brought it up. And the sons of Israel did not strike them. At this point, it would have been justified to say, you know what, that covenant was made that we made with you was made under false pretenses. You were lying about where you really were. And because of that, you know, I'm going to put this spear right uh, in your heart. Sons of Israel, however, did not strike them. Why? Because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the yud heh the God of Israel, his name was involved in this oath that they made. And this is, this is kind of an interesting point. They respected that name so much so that they were unwilling to bring it down in any way. If they had violated the oath they made under that name, what would that have said about that name? It would have said, well, you know what? We don't really, uh, we don't really value that very much. It's kind of like, you know, you, you swore in that name, but, you know, that name doesn't mean that much, so it's okay to change it. That's why you can kill us now. And the whole congregation, I love this, the whole congregation now grumbled against the leaders. That's Joshua and all these other guys who were, were made the decision to swear and, uh, and that they wouldn't. All of these guys got fooled. And everybody in the congregation turns to the leaders at this point and said, hey, guys, we're, we're, what, what kind of leaders are you? I mean, we're expecting that you'll know what to do and do the right thing. Now we find out that you got fooled. Maybe we need some new leaders. But all the leaders said to the whole congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And now we cannot touch them. Now we skip a verse, verse 21. The leader said to them, let them live. That's the good news, if you're them. The bad news is, so they became hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation, just as the leaders had spoken to them. In other words, they said, you will live, but you will be slaves to our congregation from now on. Did they get away with their deception? Yes and no, right? I love that phrase, yes and no. You have trouble making up your mind? Well, yes and no. Which is it? Well, they got away with fooling them and getting them to make a covenant with them so they weren't going to be destroyed or run out of the... I mean, I think they could have fled the, the Canaan. But who likes to leave everything that they've worked on for God knows how many years? All these farms and whatever else, the, the cat, you know, all the, their whole setup. So they didn't want to leave. So they didn't really lose that except in a way they did. Now they're slaves for Israel. But they're alive. Back up and think about this for a little. Four ways that the Gibeonites deceived the Israelites. We don't want to be like them. The Gibeonites played on the emotions of the Israelites by dressing like travelers that have been on a long journey. So they dressed apart. They looked at them. They spoke humbly to them. It's always nice. You have to greet them like this. We are your servants. So you can trust us. Look, we're here. We have no arm. We didn't come to attack you or anything. They flatter, flattery. They flattered the Israelites by extolling the power and capability of their God, mentioning Him by name, as we thought. You know, I found that it seems like in so many ways, so many places, so many times, flattery will get you everywhere. Except sooner or later, the deception gets exposed. 
Finally, they made friends by giving them gifts, in this case from the provisions that they had brought with them. How could you not buy into this? Do you think you would have bought into it had they, I, you know, Bonnie and I talked about this before. She said, you know, I think maybe you could, you could dress up like one of these guys, wear like an old worn coat, put on some dirt on your face and, you know, and kind of make yourself look and see if they, the congregation would buy into the fact that you've been working in the garden or something like that, you know. Bonnie's been giving you work to do around the house, give my hair disheveled and you come in and say, look like I've really been working hard. You might believe it. You didn't know me better. When it comes to gardening, that's Bonnie's department. When it comes to doing almost anything around the house, that's Bonnie's department. <laughs> I couldn't do this without her. Joshua and the leaders judged only by what they saw with their eyes and heard with their ears. Isn't that the way a lot of us do? Their key mistake in this whole section of Scripture was this one. They did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Was this the first time they didn't do that? No, I thought about this, and uh, this is now the third time in just the space of a few chapters, the third time that they have failed to talk to the Lord before they did, they took some action. Before attacking Jericho, do you remember that man with the sword? Remember what happened? Joshua was out reconnoitering Jericho, seeing how he was going to take it apart, how he was going to conquer it. And he walks out and he sees this guy with this man, quote unquote, with a drawn sword. Who apparently, so he walks up to him or, you know, they got together. Uh, Joshua was, uh, didn't get too close. And this man had a drawn sword, and uh, Joshua asked him, remember the question? Are you for me or against? Are you a friend or an adversary? And you remember the response? Neither. You've asked the wrong question. Remember that? The question is, are you for me? That was the question they needed to ask. Are you with me? So that was the first time he put them straight. He explained how they were going to, how God was going to give them Jericho, the march around seven times, all those things. And so uh, the, the victory at Jericho was on a silver platter. Then there was this uh, first attack against Ai Bethel. And of course that failed because of Achan's sin. Now, you remember, had Joshua asked the Lord, before he attacked Achan, uh, before he attacked Ai, saying, "Shall we attack them, or is there something I need to know? Well, what's the what's the battle plan for this next city?" Having realized that he had the wrong plan, was already assembling the wrong plan for Jericho. Now he's approaching Ai. Maybe he would have thought, "You know, God had a very creative plan for Bethel, uh, for uh, Jericho. Maybe He's got a creative plan for Ai." Had he he asked the Lord before he attacked Ai, what do you think he would have found out? There was sin in the camp that you need to take care of before you attack. That was what was Achan, but he didn't know about it. You can't, listen, you can't fault Joshua for not taking care of something he doesn't know about. But you can't fault him for not asking. Sorry, this thing keeps moving here. The third thing, the third thing, before making a covenant with the Gibeonites just now, in no asking of the Lord, God would have told them. By the way, they're 20 miles away. These are guys you gotta, they're Hittite, they're Hivites, they, uh, they need to be uh, aligned to you. Three times, three times failures occurred. The question for us, you gotta ask this question, you can see it coming a mile away. What are we doing before we make important decisions? Well, sometimes, if you know something is a big decision, and you're a godly person, you set aside some time and pray about it and ask the Lord. And you may see a post-it on your refrigerator. 
Usually you don't. I told Bonnie, I'm still waiting for the first one on mine. Nope, still no post-its. So how does God answer those prayers if you're struggling and you've prayed about something? How does he do that? There is no fixed method that God uses to answer those kind of prayers. You want to know what God's will is for you? Shall you take this job? Shall you, uh, shall you not? Shall you take this trip? Do you, do you join this organization or do you not? What, what, you prayed about it and you're waiting. And you're waiting. What do you do? You're waiting, and there's no answer coming to you. So what do you do? You wait more? You're going to miss the trip. Too late. You're going to have to be able to make that, you know, at some point you're going to have to make a decision. Because if you sit in your house and wait for the answer to come from above until I hear a voice, you might wait a long time. There are a lot of ways I find that God answers our prayers. I'm sure if you think about it yourself, you look back in your life. I've always said you see God best in your rearview mirror. And you thought he wasn't there. That, that you remember that wonderful poem about footprints? I see a lot of nodding heads about the footprints of the... You remember the story of how at one point in the, when things get really bad, the footprints are in the, in the valley in the sand and... There's only one set of footprints when things are really bad. He says, well, why, were you, why did you leave me when I... He says, <laughs> one set of footprints is the place I carried you. God will answer you, but in different ways. Sometimes, and here's, here's a very practical thing you can do. Are you ready? Besides praying again. Get some counsel from a godly person. You know, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Maybe they'll give you a perspective or ask you a question you haven't thought of. Maybe they'll validate your thought. You say, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. Or maybe they'll say, you know what? I went there. I heard about that. You don't want to do that. That's not a good place. Maybe you'll find out the answer to your question by asking. Someone else, and God will speak to them. And you may hear that person, and you may say, thank you, Lord, that you answered that. Could you help me find somebody who knows about this? Or maybe you'll hear their words and say, that doesn't sound right. I'm going to talk to somebody else. I want a second opinion. It's a good idea in the medical community to do that. Sometimes you hear something you don't like, you might want a second opinion. It could be that the Lord is going to do that for you. Or here's another one. At some point, maybe you've done that. You've tried to talk to people. They are not helpful. They know nothing about the situation that you're. They're not able to give you any. They know nothing about your the situation that you're trying to get an answer for. So what do you do? You might take a step in that direction. And if God closes the door in your face, you ought to realize that's not where God wants you. I use this analogy because I feel it applies so much. It's easier to turn a truck that's moving than one that's standing still. Sometimes the best thing to do is to start moving in the direction that you think is best. And if, it's, and if you see that you run into impediments, you maybe have to back off and say, you know, I don't think this is working out so well because it doesn't seem like God is blessing this effort. We talked about moving ahead in God's will, before. And if you see that he's blessing it, then you know that that was his will. Maybe you didn't know it until you started. Sometimes you just get a feeling after praying, I know this is right. I don't have to talk to anyone more. God has given me confirmation within me that this is the right thing to do. And you begin to move in that direction, and you see that God does bless it. And he's now confirming 
that he had made that decision for you. But at least you've gone to God and asked him about it. I know for myself how many times it's ready, fire, aim. Do you do that? You know, guilty of that sometimes? That's what we do, a lot of us. We pray about some things that I think are really important, and maybe the incidental things, oh, well, uh, I got this one, God, don't worry, I'll take care of it. I know how to take AI. I saw how you did it, Jericho. I can handle this one. It's a small place, really. Three scriptures come to mind. First Peter 5.8, a reminder for each of us. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, is out there. See, because this, we live not just in a physical world, we're living in a spiritual world. There's a spiritual battle going on that doesn't, that we can't see with our eyes or, or hear with our ears. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, I have looked around a long time and I am still looking to find that devil. I don't want to near him. I want to make sure I avoid him. But I haven't seen him yet with my eyes, nor have I heard his voice, I don't think. That's because this is virtual power. God has. That's why you go to him. He knows what Satan is up to. Maybe we don't sometimes. Pay attention. Be alert. John 8.44 tells us that talking about the devil and recognizing him, whenever he speaks a lie, he's speaking from his own nature. Why? Because he is a liar and the father of lies. So if you get a feeling about something that you don't think is from God, it might be that it's coming from a different source, that it's a spiritual source as well, called the devil. He lies a lot. We hear a lot of lies in our world. I wonder how many of them Satan and his angels are putting people up to. It's very frustrating to live in that world. I'm afraid we're all stuck in it right now. A world full of lies and deception. Finally, this scripture, one of my personal favorites, is one of my memory verses when I first became a believer. And I bought one of those little packets, you know, years ago used to have, you know, they didn't have smartphones and stuff to tell you everything. They actually had a piece of paper with some text written on one of these, one of the, the many in my little package of cards that I carried around with me was this one, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And just pause on that though. There are four thoughts in this, in this two verse Text. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Just think about that. Now, that means that your heart has to be in it. It's not just, oh yeah, I trust him. Okay, I trust you guys. No, no, it has to be real. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding, even though you think you're pretty sharp. You've been around the block. And that's good. But don't count on that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, everything you do, acknowledge Him. Kind of reminds me of that. Uh, practice the presence of God in your life. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. He's on your team. Are you giving Him the ball now and then? A lot of us have played basketball or been on team sports. You know how important it is to work with your team teammate. Because if you've got a great team member there and he's never you never allow you never you never include him in your activity, it wouldn't matter how good he is. If every time you go down to court playing basketball, you never pass the ball to him, he's not gonna score too many uh baskets, is he? No, you gotta pay you got, you got to include him in everything you do. He will make your path straight. Bring him in your decisions. 
and watch watch your decisions be blessed. And maybe you'll avoid the deceptions that Joshua and his men encountered. So many thoughts God is giving us. He wrote this a long time ago. And it's still valid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you gave us life, that we are here right now, that we're in a community of people who care about you. Lord God, we, some of us have been walking with you for a long time and it seems like, seems like things, uh, we're not so sure still about doing things and we keep, we forget you all too often. May we just this morning, this very time, Lord, be reminded that that beginning again, beginning afresh and beginning anew right now, we are going to commit in our hearts and minds and in our actions to make sure to talk with you before we take actions in every area of our life, in our families, with our friends, with our colleagues at work, every place we go, dear Lord. We'll be in touch with you, seeking you. Because, Lord, we know that you can see things we can't. And so, Lord, uh, help us. Help us through this life. Help us to uh, avoid being deceived. We want to uh, be effective workers for you. Lord God, we just learned again this morning um, some of the techniques of, and there are good techniques, Lord, for sharing you with friends and family who don't know you. Maybe even people we have never, we wanted to talk with you, but we felt unsure about but. With you on our side, and if we're in touch with you, Lord, uh, I, we know things will be better. So help us, Lord, to remember that from now on. And uh, thank you for your word that keeps uh, and it's fresh and new every morning, just as your faithfulness is. Thank you for this time together now. Bless us in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Find the Savior. Find Yeshua HaMashiach. Find the truth on Solace Radio.